There are many white people who mean right and in heart want to do right, but there are so few. If 10,000 rattlesnakes was coming down that aisle now, and I had a door here I could shut, and in that 10,000, 1,000 meant right. 1,000 rattlesnakes didn't want to bite me. I knew they were good. Should I let all these rattlesnakes come down, hoping that that 1,000 get together and farm a shield? Or should I just close the door and stay safe? I think that, that you understand the Viet Cong are not all bad, but America's still dropping bombs. In Hiroshima, the Japan wasn't bad, but she still dropped the bomb. In Korea, they weren't bad, but they still dropped the bomb. So now I'm going to forget the 400 years of lynching and killing and raping and depriving my people of freedom, justice, equality, first fire, last heart, the lowest of low, last respected, and I'm going to look at two or three white people who are trying to do right and don't see the other million trying to kill me. <laughs> I'm not that big of a fool, and I'm not going to deny it. Welcome to the Ring-A-Ding-Ding podcast. My name is Jason Isbell, and I'm here with my friend. That's Carl Garrison, the one and only. Ring-A-Ding-Ding. <laughs> and this is episode four. It's a conversation between two friends about race, faith, culture, politics, parenting, and whatever the heck else we want to talk about. Our episode today will focus on the question, how does someone defend themselves when they are called a racist? Which is a really good question, actually, but probably not for the reasons one might assume. I titled this episode, 10,000 Rattlesnakes. And that comes from the quote that we just heard from a 1971 interview on the British chat show Parkinson uh, that uh, from Muhammad Ali, boxing legend and social icon Muhammad Ali, which people don't remember, he was hated. So, Carl, man, how are you doing this week? Well, you know, I, I, um, I'm challenged this week. I, you know, I'm, I'm always uh, like to be uh, the glasses half full kind of person. But, mm -hmm. you know, this has been a culturally challenging week, uh, you know, politically and, you know, death threats and members of Congress and there's nothing to do about it. You know, and, you know, and the, the trials of Ahmaud Arbery and Kyle Whittinghouse. And I think I think I know the outcome of those trials and that the, they only confirm my own prognosis for history, but it's been a, been a challenging week. We're having some discussions at, you know, it's various schools and, and places like this about, you know, what is, um, where are we for the next generation? You know, at, uh, I'm 53, yeah. so my life is, you know, so, but this has been, been, a, been a challenging, been a challenging week for me. You know, I gotta be honest. Yeah. How about it, you? Yeah. Well, it's funny you, it's been a challenging week for me for the same reasons. Hey, it's okay for citizens to take up arms against other citizens. I mean, we already have issues with law enforcement and private citizens. Now we have private citizens being armed against other private citizens. We've got private citizens turning in other private citizens for helping people get an abortion. We've got citizens turning on other citizens on Facebook to ruin their, you know, businesses and their life. And so just just this this dynamic that a 17-year-old, you know, can cross state lines illegally and have an illegal gun and kill three people. And I don't even want to say get away with it because it's not a get away with it kind of thing. It's, it's a, it's a thing where the law says, yeah, well, despite all of that, your right to self-defense is sacrosanct. There are definitely people listening to this because they know us that they might not listen to other things. And, and so, having a conversation with people is really important when we do race work. We are the bridge. We are we, the bridge. Yeah. Like the judge. 
Yeah. Love can build a bridge. Do you know that song? Over trouble water. I know I don't. Yeah. Okay, but, that's but, okay. This way, when you sing, and I'm kind of glad I don't. So it's okay. okay. <laughs> um, I'm only kidding. In your mind, when you're thinking about the work you would like to see churches, schools, individuals, families do, how important is it for an individual not to be racist versus a society recognizing the existence of racism? Well, you know, I think just I have to look at it personally and historically and institutionally. I mean, I. I and, and I'm I'm a parent, so I'm a, I'm a little biased from my uh from my from my my tribe, my you know my clan, if you will. But I think you know obviously I want someone's personal view of race, if it's you know if it's viewed negatively historically, to my black son to not be governed by that. But I know how can you not be governed by that in, in his in a society that has been governed by that, you know. So, but I'm thinking if there were kind of recognitions institutionally, one can be racist without having to sort of play into racist um, kind of uh, uh, laws, ways of governing, ways to do a classroom. Like if, if, if I had a racist teacher to say, oh, I don't like the black kids here, and this was Carl's son. But if I do that, he might, his parents, his parents might call my supervisor and my principal and, and I get my, I get fired because we have laws in the books, blah, 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 blah. So I was like, so, you know, so that is an acknowledgement of a, of a racial situation that has been helped by some institutional kind of codifiers that will make it hard for people to exercise their racist personal beliefs on my son institutionally who's in the classroom. So having said that, I, I think it's, I would rather have the, the institutional piece, the systemic piece addressed more than the personal. I mean, whether you're personally racist, that only affects me if you're a cook with a gun on the subway or you're gonna call my son the N word in the class, you know, which is probably not gonna happen, but, the, but, but I want the institutional piece to, that, that that's going to govern how he gets a job, where he goes to school, how he's treated, you know, uh, uh, the microaggressions. So I want to address the systemic piece of that, and not and and whether someone is personally racist, I couldn't give a rat behind that. I mean, that's you know whether I mean obviously in so much as it affects me, I wish you wouldn't because I think it's a bad way to live. You can't find freedom, you can't find joy, you can't find faith. But having said that, you know, so whether you redeem yourself of someone's personal racism, I couldn't give a rat's ass about that. But institutionally, I could. Does that, right. that make sense? Yeah, Sorry. because I, I think that goes back to our definition of racism, of uh, racism is prejudice with power. Yeah. And prejudice with power in that framework, then the individual racist is not as important. <laughs> well, I love what you said. <laughs> I, I, actually, I'm not even going to try to echo it because I think what you said is absolutely right on. You know, for me, um, answering that question, how to defend myself from being called or thought of as racist, it feels very dicey at answering that question because, of course, the things that jump up in my head is are <laughs> my friend's Carl. I work at an urban church. I worked at this place that d d dealt with at-risk youth and kids uh, who, uh, you know, kids, predominantly kids of color. I've done everything in my life that I think would be, you know, justify myself that I don't hold racist views and ideas. But I think, I think that, it could, that could be a misleading question because I think, um, I think the defense is the problem for everybody. I think people should not, this isn't, you know, should, 
I think it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's an exercise in futility to defend oneself against prejudice and misogyny. Right? I mean, I'm, you know, am I misog? Am I prejudiced? I'm, do I harbor some some anger feelings toward dominant uh, groups? Yes, own that. So the question is not how do I defend myself. The question is what am I doing to deconstruct? Mm. And I think yes. that's a that's a. So, and so if I'm deconstructing and if I'm reimagining those things, then, then I'm constantly in pursuit. If I'm in pursuit of this equity then that's the question. Then that's proactive. So my answer to the question is you can't defend yourself. Yeah. There's, there's, there's nothing. When you begin def the defending project, you've already codified where you're going to go. Once I do that, then I'm no longer this. And yes. I think that's, just not, that's, not, that's not a healthy spot. I don't know why it's hard for Christians in particular, people of faith, to embrace that because we embrace this notion of being a sinner, being a fallen person, being someone who is not perfect. And of course, I can have racist assumptions. Of course, <laughs> I have benefited from racist structures and powers and situations that have benefited me that I know about explicitly and that I don't know about. I have not had the talk with my sons about police. I have not ever felt like I was followed in a store Again, it goes back to this question of if the conversation has delved into defending yourself against being a racist, then it's not really a question. It's not really a conversation worth having because the conversations that are important are the ones that are not about personally calling one person out or another in so much that it, they don't directly influence your life. It's about the structures and the systems that we are all implicitly and explicitly involved in and taking a step back and examining what, why is the world the way that it is? Why do we have more people in prison than any country in the entire world? And the majority of those people in prison are people of color who make up what 18% of the total population. Well, people know, you know, I mean, they've heard this before, but you have to you either draw to one or uh, two conclusions. You know, you either, either there is something inherently wrong with, with people of color because they, you know, they're, they're leading in every disparity, poverty, imprisonment, incarceration, race, disease, you know, or there is a structural systemic issue at play that, that helps to align itself with the, um, with the, the the stumble, if you will, the cultural stumble of people of color. We had to go to this notion of the common good, because I, I think that's what's kind of a, this idea of the common good from a, from a racial standpoint, if people are, are, are invested in the common good, then that question, it, the veil of that question becomes lifted a little bit. Then you say, okay, I actually want what's best for you because what's, what's best for you, we said it before in some of our earlier podcasts, but it's, it's, it's what's best for me, the teacher who I'm afraid of uh, being racist to my kid, if I, I want her to be enlightened, I want yeah. her to do racial. I want her to be informed. I don't I don't want her to be racist because that's gonna, gonna screw up my kid. You know, so I, I want to do whatever I can to invest in her to be involved with the school, to be involved with my community, to be do whatever I can. I'm going to be invested in the project of equity and literacy because it will it, it will, it will, because I'm a human being, I live on this planet, I don't live in Mars, I live in the, it will it will affect me. So therefore, so so. The other person, the person who may be inclined to racial views and whatever oppressive views, you know, they want to be invested in my, in my racial literacy and empathy because my actions will affect them. 
and not the Americana project, sort of, you know, this individualism could have, if that's the case, if I was all about me and how how can I get ahead, then I'm, I've already failed. I'm 54 years old. I don't live in a patch. If I, if that was my concern, how to get ahead, how to make sure I always get ahead, I've already lost. Cause I've only had so many years in life. Right. I've only got so many years. <laughs> so so theoretically, what, what I haven't done in my, my first half, do I really think that that's, that's going to happen in the next 25 or 30? I mean, the biggest thing I, for me that <laughs> that I've had to really embrace is to not be defensive. And I think for white people, that's really, really, really hard. And if there was one thing I could do, it's like to lose the defensiveness and it feels big. It feels like if I don't defend myself, there are going to be people out there just wanting to run my business into the ground, run me into the ground or whatever. Well, part of, of not being, of being not as defensive is to not speak and throw things out there that could hurt somebody. And if you don't know what could hurt somebody, you have to learn what those might be. We're an ever-evolving, ever-changing nation, community, society, city, street, school. And I saw this interview that took place in the 50s with Mike Wallace, and they used the word Negro. Like it was just a common, that's what you say. And then in the 60, late 60s and 70s, colored. And you move all the way through. You wouldn't say that to well, the time is that you know the some of the dates, but yeah, but I get your point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the point is, <laughs> is that we as a society have learned that that hurts, that's demeaning, and we and so we have to continually deconstruct and learn. And the reason why people are getting upset is not because all of a sudden people are soft, and all of a sudden people are too sensitive. It's just that they have a way to express how they feel when they see things that are anti-trans, anti-LGBTQ, racist, when they are, um, you know, against Native Americans, like, and they have a, a way to say, hey, wait a minute, that feels demeaning and dehumanizing to me. Mm. <laughs> now, this is going to sound a little harsh, but so it's easier to think that one can, is, is helping humanity by oppressive uh, actions. And I think that's what's kind of scary to me. I mean, I think, uh, you know, with, with some of the enslaved, you know, if I just, you know, uh, baptize their their souls, you know, their souls go to heaven, the bodies, it doesn't really care because, you know, they can, they can still pick God, whatever. So we have a way of justifying. And I think now what's challenging is now that people think that, you know, that these terms, you know, what, what am I going to call you? Negro, black, you know, I want to help you by kind of giving you a, a, a label, by giving you an organization and whatever, you know, a, a cultural organization so I can kind of, you know, grant funding to your community. What do you, what do you call you? Martians? I mean, so people actually think that they're helping by hurting. And I think the lines have become so blurred now. And I think people say, what, what do you mean? I'm, you know, why can't I carry a gun? I'm, I'm here to defend my country, which, which is part of your country, which is part of America, which is part of North America. So I guess there has to be a higher narrative. And again, this is the challenge with, with, with the kind of uh, democratic experiment. Your higher narrative will not necessarily coincide with my higher narrative. So we, we, we actually would have competing higher narratives. So which one? So that's a challenge. But, but I guess, but the idea of respect, and here's the thing, even respect, by giving you, if you're giving you too much respect, 
when you're not a right kind of person, that's hurting that community. You know what I'm saying? So we've reached a point now where even the good that we think we, you know, we we actually think we're doing good by these by these kind of demonstrative, you know, horrible kind of uh, uh, dehumanizing acts and language. So what's the conclusion? I have no idea. I I, I do not know. I, I think it. Um, I think there, there is a spiritual component that that I think uh, elevates itself above all that. But I don't. I won't get into all that. Well, I think I think one of the one of the conclusions we can make is that to frame the work of racialized conscious of raising people's racialized consciousness is easily co opted within the political sphere. And the political sphere is one in which winner takes all. But at the end of the day, you are left at home with your family, in your house, and in your community. And what's most important is how you see another person's experience and differentiate that from your own experience. And how that differentiation, how you see that difference is informed by history, is informed by current events, is informed by economic, social, religious structures, politics all around you. And you have to grow your capacity for empathy. You have to grow your capacity for empathy. If you don't... Well, I, I, th I think, what do you... It's good. Go ahead. Go ahead put your thumb, I'm sorry. No, I, if, go, if go, we go don't, ahead. then then we're just destined for this smaller and smaller circle of self-justification, you know, that, that's, that pits everybody back to what we said earlier as an enemy to be defeated and conquered. Well, you know, it's really, it's, it is tough because you know, there are a lot of assumptions in, in, in that last statement. And there, there's some assumptions there that you know, empathy is, is a desired, something desirable in the first place. And some in, in, that yours, in your achieving empathy won't be at my expense or won't be at your own expense. People feel as people feel as sometimes that empathy advocating that is going to, going to hurt them, you know, zero sum game. Although I, I would affirm, I would love your, your participation in my equity enterprise. I can't depend upon it for my, no, you my I mean, you, you said my, that, yeah, you said that in our first episode, which I thought was really powerful, uh, about how, like, at some point, no matter how invested a white person is in these things, there's always the escape hatch, you know, yeah. to, to, to step away. And I love how you brought in your family to it when, I, you know, when you're talking about, like, is it more important for the individual to not be racist or the structures? And you're like, well... Like a, a racist teacher could really definitely affect my kids. <laughs> I mean, you know, so yeah, I don't want that, but then the structure might protect them. So I, if they had a policy saying, if you're a racist against my kid, you get fired. Then they may think twice about that. I, I, I've got to get back to that, that Ali quote. I got the Ali quote. I'm say that kind of quote. I mean, that, that quote, that's that statement from the, from the great Muhammad Ali. who was from Louisville, by the way, it's my hometown Louisville. Yeah. My mother knew him. It's great. Um, right. Well, that statement I have to, uh, by Ali, I have to, you know, one thing it's sort of, um, and, this, and this is the sad truth, but I'll just be, I'll, I'll spill the beans here. I'll earn some dirty laundry. I have to assume that the majority of uh, racist oppressive forces institutionally will do me harm. Now, I can't, 
assume the otherwise. What, what I want to like, I leave. I'm going to assume that this judge, this teacher, this uh, cop, this uh, this person on the street, uh, uh, they they are for me. They love me. No, I got to assume. You know, we tell you tell your son. You know, you watch out for strangers. You know, what would oh, that? What do you mean? Then all are all bad. Well, only only the bad ones. So which ones do you avoid? You avoid strangers. You know, people, whatever. You know, so that's a really so, good analogy, but, actually. But, but but then again, though, Jason, when people hear that, I guess sometimes when white people hear that. It's like, golly, the whole thing is, well, I think Wallace was, he was articulating many things, but this idea of watchfulness and awareness. And, and of course, in this day and age, by me being aware, sometimes culture will call me racist or me oppressive and me mean and me pregnant because I'm, I'm, I'm telling my kids to be aware. But, you, you know, and, and I've heard it from black people as well. You know, you teach them to be ne negative victim mentality, I heard it, victim mentality, victim uh, mentality. Victim mentality, victim. I've heard it. I heard that so much growing up. I'm like, oh my God, you don't want to be a victim. I'm not being a victim. I'm being smart. You know, I'm being triumphant. But of course, that's a that's a nuanced discussion that I think one has to just sort of relay and affirm and live out. Because I, I find that the more you talk about that, and here's here's the thing, and I'm all for talking, I'm all for racial literacy, I'm all for discussion, but there are some areas, the more you talk about them, they only increase the divide. I hate to say mm -hmm. that. I hate to say that. What I areas do you think they are? Uh, this about is one race. of them here uh, about or this issue issue about who is good, who the is good, good, the good ones, the good the situations, good the good yeah. programs, the good, the good. I'm, this is a, one of the good schools, and this is a, uh, this is a good. I'm one of the you good people. To, you, yeah, I'm I'm one of the good. But let me show me. You know, I'm I'm not. A, I always tell people like when I you know I mentioned before when people come to the church here, want to volunteer for for them. I always say, hey, people ask me, are you one of those you know right wing kind of homophobic? I said, I said, well. I'm, you know, I, I can just say, no, no. But I say, listen, you spend an hour for me working with, with feeding the poor and listening to the music, talking to me. And then you decide if I'm the, that kind of thing. Because, you know, this, you just look at me and, and, and look at what I'm doing, look at my actions, and then you yeah. tell me, answer your own yeah. question. Because I, other, I, if I go to defend, no, look what I, I voted for so-and-so, look what I, when, you, when you're involved in the proving, when you prove stuff, this is why I, I struggle with, with, with credentialing, even when, when it's done in, in a good way. If you didn't do those things, you'd be, I mean, I... I think that's a that's a ultimately it sounds sweet, but it is a defeatist enterprise and is doomed for mm. failure. I hate to say that, but people, that sounds very negative, very cynical, very almost kind of uh, nihilistic. But yeah, it's I'm a little I'm a, I'm a bit of a so nihilist. Wait, what what just, what you're saying is, what I hear you saying is that I'll interpret never for interpret, interpret for me for the white people. Yeah, you want to interpret yeah, that? I, I do, I do. <laughs> 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 what I hear you saying is that. I'll always have to do race work. That yes, there's yes. no finish line. Well, that's really I because I, I wait a minute. So I can never get to the mountaintop and feel like I've arrived and moved on to something else. Boy, that feels very scary. That feels very scary. Uh, that in my whole life, I am going to have to work at seeing the world through other people's eyes, be they gay or straight or trans or black or Hispanic or Asian, that you're telling me that nothing's going to be normal. Well, I, I will. I hate to tell it to you, but 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 here's a here's a positive spin. That's the way for for families as well. I will never stop trying to be a good father to my children even when they're men and older men i will i right now i would the fact that i'm married to to a strong black woman 
I marvel at that because I am not a I am I am not a catch. I mean, I'm aloof. You know, I can do it as a father. I try, but the fact that I'm going to be involved in this, how to deconstructing the enterprise of, of fatherhood and being a husband, and being a being a partner, I'm gonna. That's something. That's an enterprise that I will be involved in to the day I die. And maybe on the other side of glory. I say I, I, may, I may be an inch closer to what God wants me to be, but right now, I mean, so 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 this idea of 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 the race work, it's it's that's it's it's in a pool of of husband work. It's, yeah. it's in a pool of father work. It's in a pool of ministry work. So 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 I get we think as a culture that this race is this, this race work is an exceptional thing, but no, we do that with any meaningful enterprise. Think about it. Everything that's meaningful, we say we will be involved in this and we will be deconstructing and learning and growing. So race shouldn't have all the fun. Let fatherhood have some fun too. Yeah. Let, let being a being a, a cisgendered male have some fun. We I want to grow into my, I want to I, I want to be an advocate for, for, for women. I want to be an advocate for my trans brothers. I don't want to say okay, well I took a class. I, I went to Marcus, so I'm I'm done with 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 uh, with trans work. So I'm next, no, 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 no. And, and we see that. Surprise. And we see that in different ways, like uh, athletes, you know, mm -hmm. the athlete that says that they've figured the game out and that it's easy for them is lying. And they don't say that, you know, someone <laughs> like someone like Tom Brady. All right. He which is, is always an easy one to go to. Like, how much more film does that guy need to watch yeah. to, to be better? Well, in his view. He needs to watch a lot more or LeBron yeah. James kid. I, you know, I was looking at Levi. He's joined the basketball team for the first time. He's oh, sitting really? on okay, the, cool, cool. yeah, yeah. He's sitting on the bench and he kind of loves it. He's like, basketball is so hard. He's like, I had no idea how hard basketball was. I was like, oh really? He's like, yeah, there's all these plays, everything. And it's so fast. And we're talking about LREI yeah. basketball. We're not talking about like, you know, still, I like, man, can, hey man, you know, yeah, still, can you, still. Any, I mean, I, I have such respect for the sport. I mean, the, 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 the here's a perspective. I'm sorry, hold your thought, perspective. Uh, 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 Tom Scalabrini used to play for the Nets. He was a fifth guy off the bench, white guy, red hair, Scalabrini. We used to joke about Scal He went to a camp and schooled uh, guys, uh, the, all the five-star guys, you know, all the G League guys. I mean, there were guys who, because bat, you understand, because, you know, the on the NBA bench, the guy on the farthest bench is an All-American who can beat half the, half the world in basketball. And I think a lot of people go, yeah, yeah, I know there was slavery. Yeah, yeah, I know there was this. Yeah, yeah, I know these things. But then, if they just go sit on the bench of like when I'm talking low tier basketball stuff <laughs> and they listen to some, a basketball coach and they try to run a practice, they're like, wow, this is really hard. And I feel like the race work, that's all we're saying is that maybe, maybe read and listen, which people are listening to this. So that's part of it. And let's get out of our momentary individual, what we think we know and go into places to be taught and learn. I love that example that you give and add race work into our husband work, into our father work, into our good citizen work, into our, into our spiritual work. If that's your spiritual person into our civic work and incorporating that we have, I believe that we've been created by higher power, by God to have incredible capacities for self-reflection and realization. 
And I, anyway, I, li- I like that. I like that. I like that. I, I really that's a that's that's a good ender. I, I guess that you're going to have a lot to edit from here because we were all over the place. But, but I, <laughs> yeah, it's good. I, I think I think we're actually drilling down on some of the um, the psychological and kind of self-reflective kind of aspect of like of race work and just sort of uh, empathy in, in general. But I, I love that. So this idea of just and here we go. This, this is where I do believe I said before I'm going to I'm actually going to I'm gonna do something I rarely do do something I really do maybe amend one of my comments. I said that I wonder if human beings had the capacity for this, you know, for this enterprise. And yes, they do. Because like what you just said reminded me of like, of course, obviously I wouldn't be a minister if I didn't believe that, obviously. So people have great capacity. It's like, I had to quote uh, that wonderful philosopher, Jarrell and Superman. He says that uh, they they mean well, Kalel. They just like the like the way a person to show them the way. But um, but I think that this idea of capacity that's what I, I have faith in capacity. Even though that capacity may never happen, I must live, I must live as though I have to live as though that capacity is possible, and not only others but in myself. Um, and, and that's you know, and I say that I, you know I have father of two, a teenager and a and a, and a, a preteen, a twenty year old, a, <laughs> yeah, a teen it's going on. Like, <laughs> but yeah, and they're both so different. And, and right now, my other youngest son, Phil, because we were all piling on him because, you know, he's like, oh, we, we said, you're all gang up. He said, you're ganging up with me. I said, no, we're not, man. We just want to, you're so gifted. You're so wonderful. We want to just, you know, no. But so I've got, I've got some father work to do. I got to continue. I got some husband work to do. So, so actually, I'm thankful that I'm in a situation where I kind of can continue to expand that. So that's more of a it. confession for my family, but they won't, they, but they won't hear this though. So yeah, that's matter. right. That's right. <laughs> All right, now we've come to the time where we kind of ring the bell and we talk about things that have popped up, culture, politics, society, whatever, uh, that have been of interest for us this week. So, uh, Carl, what about you? Well, I'm uh, reading right now Michael Dysing's um, uh, Entertaining Blackness, uh, how blackness is performed in, in the, historically in the U.S. And this is just a fascinating kind of work. And he's, just, you know, he reads it himself. It's a great book. And I'm also reading The, the Trouble with White Women. Uh, <laughs> so how feminism White feminism has betrayed women of color, which is also a deeply fascinating work. Um, so you know they're challenging in many, many, many different ways. But I saw a film. You know, my my film crew, um, River and Joshua, we saw the Eternals uh, this week and the, the next Marvel film. And you know, it was two hours. It, it was you know silly fun, but I, I think um, you know they're overthinking the franchise and it um you know they, they reimagined the zeus and the gods and how the gods have you know and it um and it's all kind of all, all it was fun but all over the place and you saw saw the coming from an mile away and it, um so yeah it was uh uh what's the, we saw the other one too oh yeah i, I saw a uh, last uh last night in soho i actually i love edgar wright i saw that film i love the 60s i love kind of reimagining that as well that is this at the ifc movie. center uh which one last night in soho the, yeah yeah it's no, it's playing it's playing it's uh, it has a broader release. Eddie, okay. Edgar Wright he done a uh, Baby Driver, uh, uh, the Scott Pilgrim versus the World, but this is a kind of a, a psychological kind of horror thing. It's not really scary at all, but it just really it's it, go see it for the entertainment quality of it and sort of the acting of the of the lead Thomas McKenzie, uh, Thomas E. McKenzie. She's uh, really phenomenal and it's just fun. It's a lot of fun, but again. You can't you can't thrill me. I mean, you can't trick me. I see. The, I, I know the ending of films because it just as an actor at the beginning, I, I said, okay, he did it, and she's guilty. Here's how they did it. And, and, and well, I'm kind of like, and I told Joshua the sport. I didn't. Even, I, was, I knew that. I said, okay, here's a here's a killer right there. And, but uh, but it was fun. So anyway, I would. I'm I, I'm I'm for. I'm a film buff, so I I go see films if they're horrible. If they're if they're, you know, if they're either good or horrible, they're just fun. I love the escape. 
And as an actor, I just love seeing how people do it. So I don't really care what the plot is. I want to see how you execute your idea. My my ring the bell that I want to bring to you, and this is amazing to me because I've never heard of this person ever until I saw it on TikTok. Uh, it's about uh, a woman named Tina Bell. Now, Tina Bell is a black woman who founded the Seattle band Bam Bam in 1983. And she is the true godmother of grunge. Now, I grew up in Seattle from 1987 through 1993. The heart of the cultural movement and moment known as grunge, where the world was focused on Seattle. And in Bam Bam, Matt Cameron, who's the eventual drummer for Soundgarden and Pearl Jam, I mean, bands that are like foundational to my musical identity. She, uh, uh, Matt Cameron was the drummer in Bam Bam. And I had never once heard a single piece of Bam Bam or this wow. music. And I, 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 so I've read some things about her. Uh, she passed away. Um, uh, unfortunately due to, um, you know, all kinds of things that, that, you know, in the, I mean, drugs and alcohol and because, I mean, that's what the Seattle grunge scene was like. I mean, like many, many artists, you know, um, did, but she was actually, um, worked in a church singing, doing stuff in a choir. But if you go listen wow. to her stuff and it's on, it's on, um, Spotify it's amazing, both the lyrics and the raw energy. You can see the through line from there to Mud Honey to Pearl Jam to Soundgarden. And she was from Seattle. And uh, I love this quote from this article. It says, it's more than time to crown Tina the queen of grunge. And not just because it's a quote unquote woke PR move, but because it's the truth. She truly founded grunge. And so I, it's, it's amazing. And so it's something that I had no idea, never knew anything about, and that is my genre. That is my genre. So I'm gonna play a little bit, a little clip of her right now. So there it is, wow, Tina Bell, wow. Bam Bam, Ugh. awesome. Wait, Jason, I, maybe you can edit this in, but I just I just had to sort of mention this, and you can kind of edit how you want to. I'll, give, I'll put some space yeah. in between it. I've been hearing a lot of um, this wokeness. Uh, it's too woke. Uh, we, we're going for what is too woke? I mean, if, if wokeness is defined as equity, fairness, empathy, and too much of that is like a bad thing I, I get what i mean or people say well what, what, wokeness leads to cancel culture really i i, I so I, i'm hearing a lot of a lot of um so i just want to know what is what you can help me out here because I'm, I'm at a loss what is wokeness and what is too woke join us next time on episode <laughs> five where we discuss what does it mean to wake up what does it mean to wake up and become woke. What is that? Anyway, that's going to be episode five of the ring. Okay, you, you, you want to do it like that. Okay, we can, we can, we can do it like that. Ring a dig dig podcast. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, oh, yeah, so much for listening. Actually, answer the question, and then we Because, you, you know, my guy, you can ABC it. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> well, ABC it. <laughs>
episode five of the Ring-A-Ding-Ding podcast. <laughs> Thanks so much, everyone, for listening. Have a great week. And ring-a-ding-ding. <laughs>